This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. Listening to Voices of Your Village, this is episode 229. We had an entire team meeting about Marie Beecham, who I get to interview here. We dove into her work and we were like, gosh, I, I, I personally love how her brain works. I love how she presents information. And one of the things that I think is so key here is that she's, she's really skilled at having nuanced conversations about things that we often put in categories. We're really, really good at saying something is right or wrong. It's good or bad. And Marie is so skilled at saying, hmm, let's talk about that. What's coming up for you? Finding the nuance and having conversations. And y'all, I think the key to moving forward together collectively is learning how to have conversations with people who don't already think like we do. People who have different points of view than we do. We're really good at being in our echo chamber. It's very easy to get fired up and feel passion in a group of people who believe the same things you do. My challenge for all of us is to have more conversations with people who don't and not to prove them wrong, not to prove our point, but to truly understand, to learn how to listen and engage thoughtfully. Marie is brilliant at this. And I'm so excited for y'all to tune in to this conversation that I got to have with her. All right, folks, let's dive in. Hey there, I'm Alyssa Blass Campbell. I'm a mom with a master's degree in early childhood education and co-creator of the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method. I'm here to walk alongside you through the messy, vulnerable parts of being humans raising other humans with deep thoughts and actionable tips. Let's dive in together. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today, I get to hang out with Marie Beecham. Marie is a diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate. She has empowered millions, with an M, (laughs) online by guiding them through the steps of becoming a change maker. Her life's work is helping people make a difference, and she teaches people to do just that on her podcast, The Change Maker. I was just telling Marie before we joined here that... Mm -hmm. We had a full team meeting about Marie at Seed because so many of us follow you, Marie. And I was like, I definitely want to talk to her. And how do I pick just one thing? Like, I, <laughs> like if we're going to narrow it down and ask her to come on, like, how, where do we go from here? So thank you. Thank you for saying yes to coming to hang out with me. I truly have been looking forward to this conversation. I'm really excited and I appreciate the care that you you take with, you know, even seeking out learning about all these different things I like to teach about. I mean, I'm I'm happy to be here. Yeah, sweet. Where are where do you live, Marie? Where are you tuning in from or coming to me from? I'm based in the Midwest. 
Oh, the Midwest. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in Western New York, like South of Buffalo on the Pennsylvania border, not far from like Ohio, actually. Um, and we would often be compared to like the Midwest in terms of like <laughs> lifestyle, sometimes little things that I say, like accent wise, people be like, are you from the Midwest? Um, yeah, we get, we get a little <laughs> bit of that fun. Well, one thing that the thing that finally, as we were like in this meeting, like, I want to talk to her about this. These are things I love that she brings to the table. What I think you are so darn good at is recognizing nuance within challenging topics. We are designed, right, to try and like box things in and to categorize and to make sense of it for our brain and say like, oh, this belongs here. This is good. This is bad. This is whatever. And it makes it hard to have hard conversations, right? Mm -hmm. And to have growth when we're just putting things in a box and being like, check, done, it's tidy, it's neat. And you're Mm -hmm. so good at recognizing nuance in topics. And I want to learn how to do this (laughs) because I want to be able to model and teach it to kids, right? Right. To be able to show this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I appreciate that. And I would say that my love for nuance has not always been the case. Um, And it was a big shift for me um, early in my career, because in my personal life and in my early career, I was not about nuance. I was about like, let's be the good guys. Let's be on the right side of history. Let's not associate with bad people. Um, And that was how I lived personally. And then that was also the message I shared. But when I discovered the beauty of um, that nuance allows me to not have to hate the people I disagree with or to not have to cut them out of my life or to not end all of these relationships that I want to have with people I love, nuance and giving people the benefit of the doubt and having a full understanding of a range of perspectives, that that wasn't a bad thing for me. It seemed scary. It seemed like I do not want to associate with the people who I disagree with. I don't like them. Um, And for background, my work is generally in like race, racism, racial animosity, and even a little bit of political animosity that I talk about. Um, But basically, nuance freed me up from fearing people and fearing the other side um, and also from hating people because I feel very strongly about, you know, not having racial prejudices and working against stereotypes. And yet I found that I had a lot of prejudices toward other people, not race-based, but based on other factors. And it occurred to me like, okay, I need to not just redirect what defines our prejudices. I need to eliminate all prejudice in my heart altogether. And that's not just me being like, the peacemaker of the world, I realized like in a selfish way, it was actually for my good. Like I lived a much more grounded life, much more peace. And I didn't feel too, too, yeah, afraid of the world and afraid of people or disagreement, conflict. Um, So it, it was a life changer for me. And that's why I love to share with other people about like the secret beauty and selfish benefit from seeing the best in others and breaking the whole us versus them narrative. Yeah, it's so key, right? And I think that I, I think the word identity keeps coming up for me here. Yeah. Like we all hold different identities, right? I was just thinking about this the other day with like Instagram bios and <laughs> like what people choose to put in their Instagram yeah. bios of like if I'm going to describe myself in however many characters it is or however mm-hmm. what feels like this is who I am and was looking at someone right. and it was like Christian and mom and former teacher and whatever and I was like okay these are things that she right. feels are her identity um and then for us what those mean right the meaning making that we have around different mm-hmm. identities and labels and mm-hmm. how quickly in my brain I can jump to assumptions based off Mm -hmm. of an identity, not just like, okay, what does it mean about this one area of their life? But then I feel like in, with one word, it's like, all right, and I know how they voted in the last election, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't, do you though? And it's like immediate (laughs) assumptions that I can, I can jump to 
And I love, love yeah. that like value of seeking understanding that, yeah. like, oh God, it's so, it's a huge part of being in a relationship, right? And having like the the kind of relationships that can withstand conflict, those are the ones you want. And what you're talking about with Instagram bios and identity, I always call that like the bumper sticker effect, you know? <laughs> yes. I, I like to make a case of like, in my life, I was a bumper sticker person with stickers on my water bottle and all the t-shirts and like all these different things that, like you said, they were signposts of this is my identity. This is how I think. This is how I vote. This is how I live. Um, And I made a big personal push to ditch all of that. Like I tell people, you know, get rid of your bumper stickers, not in a super literal way, but we use these signposts and these identifiers thinking, oh yeah, this is going to influence people. This will really sway them. And it's not what, what the way to connect with people and get through to them is through conversation. And I think a lot of those times, a lot of the time, those signposts or the Instagram bio or whatever, we just lead with the identifier and it actually stops conversation, communication, understanding before it could even start. And so it's hard to, you know, like you said, we strongly identify with these labels but the way to seek understanding is to get beneath the labels, beneath the, I could guess how you voted to understanding the ideas of like, now I see what your values are. Now I understand how you're motivated by different things than I am. Now I understand how we have kind of similar concerns, but we believe in very different methods, but you never get that far when it's, this is my identity. This is your identity. And they just do not mesh. Yeah. Uh, yes. And I, it's a practice, right? It's a practice for me to slow down and get curious uh, mm-hmm. and not just like jump to that conclusion. We, a little while ago, we do, we did a post on practicing consent with babies and mm-hmm. um, we do a number of posts on consent and generally right. they do fine. Like people are like, great. Yeah. I don't want to force my kid to have to hug or whatever. And we did one and it, uh, it got picked up by uh, certain um, folks had shared it in spaces that then came in and they were like, we, they were using words like pedophile and things like that mm. to us. Um, and at first I was like, whoa, like caught off guard. And then I got to a space of curiosity and I was like, what mm. is it? Because I think like, how is this not a shared value between us? Like I really mm. got to the space where I was like, I wonder yeah. if it is. <laughs> and right. so I went into my DMs and somebody, there were a lot of DMs that were super hateful, but there was one that was a little softer and was like, yeah. I'm leaving because of this post, blah, blah, but like in a softer tone. And I was right. like, I want to get curious here. And so I was yeah, like, yeah. absolutely. Like, please feel free to follow whomever you'd like. I'm help me understand like what about yeah. this post and they great I'm grateful they were open to having the conversation and ended up sharing like for them consent meant sexual consent and so they read it as like they didn't read the post right they saw practicing right. consent with babies and for them that meant there was some sort of sexual consent component gotcha with a baby yeah. and I was like oh yeah of course like if that yeah. said respect and she was mm-hmm. like, oh, it'd be totally different. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, okay. So like that, you know, like it, had I not yeah. stepped into curiosity, my assumption of these humans had already spiraled and I had to like come yeah. back to curiosity. Yeah. And then I could be like, I, f- I do feel like most people want babies to have <laughs> consensual relationships, not yeah. not just in, in infancy, but it took that like, regulation for myself and curiosity to even enter into that and that for me is the practice is slowing down to invite curiosity right I think curiosity is a really crucial component and it's a value that we all hold you know we all are big fans of curiosity when it's like hey you should be more curious about the way I think you know like we all want to be on the receiving end of curiosity Um, but yeah, like that example is a really good one of like a lot of things get lost in language. Like you even getting to the root of, oh, this is not a values difference. This is a language difference. These words carry very different assumptions for us. It carries very different weight. Um, and it's funny to me that you're like, there are a lot of hateful DMs. I went for the softer one, but that's relatable because 
another thing that I say that might be a little bit of a hot take, but I think that the tone and the kindness of how we communicate things really does. I mean, it's a, on the one hand, it's a hot take. On the other hand, it's like logical that the tone matters. Like the, the medium affects the message and the way that you communicate. I mean, people who had the same issue with that post, one one of them, you know, their tone communicates, I hate you and I want nothing to do with you. And that's how they're going to express that they're upset about what you said. And others communicate, I didn't like what you said here. I was troubled by it. And that's a whole different message, even if they're responding to the same thing and taking the same action. I'm going to unfollow you. The tone changes everything. And we all feel that, again, when we're on the receiving end of hateful or rude tone versus curious tone and open-minded tone. But then you like flip the script and you're supposed to be curious in that time where you're totally outraged. You can't believe a person would be that terrible, but maybe it would be us who's like humbled and realizing, oh, like, I guess I I had a different take on the language used. We were thinking different things. Um, and yeah, you mentioned curiosity a few times and I think nine times out of 10, curiosity breeds humility. And humility doesn't even mean, oh my gosh, I did a whole 180. I see the world completely differently now. But it's humility of like, maybe there are decent people who see this differently than I do. Maybe great minds do think alike rather than seeing the world as us, the good people and them, the evil people with no morals who want to watch the world burn. Like we got to go beyond that because when I was wrapped up in a lot of animosity, I thought it was the only way to go. I thought it was the only way to be a passionate, socially aware, informed person. And I just realized that was actually holding me back. Plus when I had this animosity and I was choosing a rude tone, I was choosing these ineffective communication strategies. I was not even going to make an impact on anybody. Like I'm not going to convince anybody like that actually does not further my cause. And so being a little bit more open-minded, leaning into nuance, understanding, diversity of opinion, that actually is like a prerequisite for making any kind of impact. I don't need to give up my convictions, but my convictions are only going to work if I also understand how people think when they don't hold those same convictions. A hundred percent. And it, I think what it breeds is just, you end up preaching to the choir, right? Like <laughs> you're not yeah. going to like change this person's mind as I attack we know that like fear and shame aren't going to actually change the way that they think about this in any manner it's going to push them away Mm -hmm. it's going to stop the conversation uh this speaks so much to me so we have the book coming out later this year tiny's big emotions and one of the things that I said to our like book team was I was like I don't want to preach to the choir with this like I don't want people who are already into respectful, conscious parenting to be the only ones. Wow. Yeah. That are snagging this. Like that feels important to me from an impact standpoint. And so when we're looking at like who to partner with collaborations, press, et cetera, Mm -hmm. like that really matters to me. And I, from the lens of like, yeah, I don't just want to tell people who are already on board right. a message that they're like, woohoo. I mean, <laughs> also happy to support people with more tools who are already on board and want more tools and support, but I don't just want that. And in order to not just want that, it means for me that I need to like be able to be open to conversations mm-hmm. with humans who don't necessarily even maybe even share the same values not even like we have Mm -hmm. different approaches to it but like maybe we don't share the same values and what would it look like for me to really be curious about their values and what drives them and I think more importantly like what are they afraid of Um, Mm. and I I did a workshop for dads a few years ago it was pre-covid and it was an in-person mm-hmm. workshop. I partnered with this cool organization here called Dad Guild. So it was dads only. And it filled mm-hmm. up in like a couple hours. Like just all of our wow. folks are gone. We were like, oh, wow, cool. Like dads are really interested in, in, in this emotional development work. Like that's great. 
And then as we were getting closer to the event, I started getting these emails from partners, primarily moms in hetero relationships who were like, my husband, I signed my husband up for this. He's coming. Can you make sure to cover X, Y, and Z? And I was like, oh my gosh, never in my history of presenting have I had a dad reach out and say like, my wife is coming to this parenting workshop. Here are her areas of growth. Can you make sure you hit on that? Right? Like never has it happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is wild. And then ultimately, like I asked right at the beginning, I shared that with dads at the beginning of the workshop. And we, I asked them and it was like all but two in the room were there because someone signed them up to be there. Right. And in the end, there was a line out the door for questions. Like it was Mm -hmm. awesome. We had an incredible hang, but what it meant for me was getting curious about their fears and their experience and why do they didn't want to be in the room in the first place? Like what was turning Mm -hmm. them off from being in the room in the first place? Um, Yeah, I think that curiosity is huge for seeking to understand. Can you chat for a sec? Because cancel culture comes up for me here. And I find myself living in this too, where like, Mm -hmm. not just the fear of, but also the like, yeah, let's tear that thing down. Like that was the the terrible ad to put out, like um, burn it all the ground. And I have to regulate that as well. And so can you speak to like how cancel culture plays a role in this here now in terms of being able to find yeah. nuance? Yeah, I mean, well, I really appreciate what you were talking about with impact and, you know, thinking about your book and who it should reach. And for you to even say, I want to go to the places where people are not already nodding along before I open my mouth. That's like... Exactly. Right. Like like that's where the impact will be made. Um, Because even with my work, I found that all the people who flock to me are the people who love what I have to say because they think how I think and they think my ideas are great. And then I found myself full of like, yeah, just looking at a bunch of smiling faces who are happily nodding. And I'm like, dang it, I'm just doing the thing again. I'm in the echo chamber. This is how this is working. But then to venture out of the echo chamber, it's a scary thing. And, you know, that's essentially what happens usually with cancel culture. Um, I shouldn't say usually often with cancel culture, you get canceled once something makes its way out of the echo chamber. Mm -hmm. So it's the big post that gets lots of attention and then it gets picked up by somebody else or it's the, the thing that's said, and it makes its way to these other people who aren't in your corner, haven't seen the whole body of work, aren't giving you the benefit of the doubt because this is all that they've seen or all that they've heard. Cancel culture is a tough topic. Um, and I've talked about it a lot. And I usually talk about it in terms of canceling someone because they their views aren't racially or socially aware enough, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it differs in terms of public figure versus at the personal level and I think that there is totally a case for, oh yeah, withhold your support from influential people who are promoting terrible things. Like, yeah, sure. You have that power. Like, go for it. I'd say I've become more empathetic toward public figures since I myself have become one. Um, (laughs) And just seeing like some pretty ruthless, being on the receiving end of some ruthless animosity where it's like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. And, you know, you're just like, do better. And it's like, you didn't even read the whole thing. Like it does get <laughs> difficult. I've, I've grown an empathy toward um, the public figure, but I think the cancel culture that I think is relevant is at the person to person level. And people would say, that's not even cancel culture. And it's like, yeah, I agree. We could, we could call it something else. Um, I, I could call it the cut them out of your life approach, you know, and I've seen this play out where the person gets like pushed out of the friend group when it's like, I don't know, elections are coming up or something, or the person gets like cut out of the group chat or cut out of your life, or you're not going to show up to Thanksgiving this year, whatever it is. Um, And that's what I really take issue with because sure, cancel the influential person, whatever, whatever you want to do. I think that is a problem of like, let's be gracious, whatever. But at the, the personal level, the real issue is that that type of canceling or cutting people out it makes such big promises about like, this will lead to change. This'll, mm. this'll teach them a lesson. And it seriously under delivers on that. It's like, <laughs> it just doesn't, it doesn't play out. It's like, um, 
I don't know. I just thought of this. I was going to say, it's like locking someone in a way until they can get the money to pay you back. It's like, right. well, doing the one thing actually prevents the result that you want to happen. So if you're going to cut someone out of your life because you think that they're not open-minded enough and they don't understand you and they don't have the right ideas that you have, well, why are you going to like ostracize them from the person in their life who has those ideas or who could help them or who could teach them or who could walk alongside them? Like that's your role. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, the attitude I always hear is like, I don't owe it to them. I don't owe it them anything. You know, whenever I, sh I share about like, you know, lean in and teach the people in your life, help them. If not you, then who? People are always like, well, you don't know my family. Well, you don't know my neighbors. You don't know my community. And it's like, right, I don't. <laughs> you do. You have the in. And even if you don't think you owe it to them, which nobody thinks they owe it to them. Nobody's mm -hmm. like, oh, I would love to take up this task. Everybody's like, I'm not going to give them any of my time. If you don't feel like you owe it to them, then I say, stop thinking about them and how they'll receive it and whatever. Think about you. How can I stay true to my values? How can I live and speak with integrity? How can I make sure that like I have a no prejudice policy coming out of my mouth, a no prejudice policy in my conversations? And it's kind of that thing of like, you know, when you're trying to draw boundaries and you're trying to boundary other people's behaviors, it's not, it's going to lead to frustration versus when you're like, I will not let these kinds of things be said without me saying something, doing something like whatever, like you need to focus on you because that's where you can totally control it. Um, and that's always why my advice is like, oh, well, they're not, they're, they don't know their stuff yet and they're not going to listen to me. I'm like, but do you? Because if you do, then you're, you're accountable for your actions and how you carry yourself. You know, like you can be, you absolutely can walk away. You can use your judgment, whatever it is. But I think a lot of the times people are like, they wouldn't listen. It's like, you don't even know that because you assumed mm -hmm. that. And so you shut yourself up before you said anything. And so maybe they wouldn't listen. But the thing I can't stand is like the quiet back out of people's lives where like sure. you, you get a sense of their identities. You get a sense of how they vote, of who they are. And so you just like angrily, quietly tiptoe away <laughs> rather than like even having like uh, any kind of communication about it where sure. you could try to understand each other better. Yeah. I think it puts the, I think we do this in as parents and teachers and caregivers a lot too, where we are like, mm. uh, we will put the onus on the child to get calm mm. so that we can get calm or for their behavior mm. to change so that we can feel a certain way and right. taking responsibility for like, oh, I own my tools for regulation and yet their behavior might be triggering. Sure. When they yell, I mm -hmm. hate you, it's triggering. And I'm responsible for my regulation and, and bringing that calm and, and owning that. And when I look at this, I think I, I had a like Facebook messenger, which is obviously one of the <laughs> best places to have one of these conversations, uh, conversation with a friend of mine who I grew up with and high school and um we uh, she had shared something it was around like Roe v Wade stuff mm -hmm. and she was like very adamantly pro-life in this we should never and and so I just messaged her and I was like help me understand like what your goal is with this and what you want to see happen and what and where the where it's coming like I just truly wanted to learn because I felt like mm -hmm. I'm not here to give her an article. Like I, I, for one second, put myself in her shoes. Of like, if she just delivers me sources that I don't give a shit about, I'm not going to like change my <laughs> yeah. mind, right? Like exactly. that's not going to change my mind. And right. so, um, or like her statistics from her sources that I'm not in alignment mm -hmm. with, like that's not going to do it for me. And so I was like, I no. just want to learn. And so I asked her and she shared like, you know, I believe that it's a baby from conception and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, totally, that makes sense to me. If that's your belief mm -hmm. system, like you should fight like hell for kids to survive yeah. and to be um, advocated for. And, and I was like, help me understand what we do with things like, and I shared my personal experience yeah. of, 
I was, I had a miscarriage and it, I took medicine for the fetus to pass. There's no heartbeat. We've done all the tests, blah, blah, blah. And it didn't pass. And then COVID hit and it was at the very beginning of COVID and my body kept bleeding. And then I was hemorrhaging and then I was losing a lot of blood. And then after months of this, they were doing blood tests to test my HCG levels. And it was just hanging out like Mm. 16 and the goal is below five. And so they did an ultrasound and found like, yep, there's a piece of placental tissue or fetal tissue or something still in there. And we would have to do a DNC. Mm. And at this point I'd been pregnant for months. Um, Mm. And so under like what she was supporting it, I, in some States wouldn't qualify for a DNC. Um, And it, what, there was no baby inside of me anymore right? Like there was a mm-hmm. piece of tissue left that wasn't growing right, anything right. and my body couldn't get rid of. So I was like, just help me understand, like, what do we do for situations like this? And like under this, there would be states I wouldn't have. And she, we got to like have a back and forth about it. Yeah. And where I still honored her values of like, totally, if that's a value of yours and that's a belief of yours, like definitely fight for that. And what yeah. about these exceptions? And like, here was my personal one. and. Mm-hmm. She was like, well, we should have an exception for blah, blah, blah. And I was like, right. And then under this, those exceptions are gone. And so how do we build that in? But I think part of the problem is when person to person, we don't seek to understand. Mm-hmm. We seek to convert. <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> and I like guilty as well. Like that's something yeah. I have to like, especially if I'm dysregulated, I'm like, I don't, Mm -hmm. and I'm not owning my own regulation. It's really easy for me to write that off and just be like, oh my, they're not going to get it. They don't understand, blah, but they're not trying to come around and like, take a step back. I'm not trying to come around to their side either. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You're just trying to, you know, make this person who you disagree with less of a villain in your heart and in your mind. I always talk about that of like, the world is a scary place when you feel like half the people anywhere you go are villains, you know, like yes. that is you're going through life, like full of angst and very on edge. And so listening to understand rather than conversing to convert, as you put it, um, it helps you and it helps them. It helps you to no longer see them like a villain. And when you no longer see them like a villain, you don't need to treat them like one. Like you'll find yourself not jumping to interrupt them so much. You'll find yourself not so defensive. And even what you described with that woman from high school, like I bet your sincere desire to learn like really disarmed her in a topic that is so quick to like pick up your arms and get ready to fight. And I think like what you're talking about, you know, with really truly listening, um, I think something that makes it really hard, even with canceling at the personal level, is a lot of people classify a lot of things as harmful, that it would be harmful Mm. to even hear the other perspective. And that's something I get a lot on my podcast. Like half the episodes are like, okay, I'm going to argue one thing, and then I'm going to argue the exact opposite thing. And I want you to decide what you make of it. You know, I just did this in an episode on microaggressions. I explained a lot of different what microaggressions are and how it's subtle acts of racism. I gave a lot of personal examples. And then in the back half of the episode, I explained issues with the concept of microaggressions itself and why people don't like the idea of microaggressions, why they feel like it's an accusation, why it can lead to a sense of confusion, why like all of these different things. And I always even get a little scared doing that, even though it's kind of my job, nuance is kind of my thing. Because we've all bought into this idea that you need to pick a side and to even hear the other side, those are the bad people. Mm -hmm. To hear the other side is harmful. That's not good for you. You're not going to be okay. You need to plug your ears, la, 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 because they're not just wrong, they're evil, you know? Um, And so what you did, you know, sincerely trying to listen, even when you have serious personal experience and you completely disagree, what you did is an affront to that idea that hearing out the other side will be harmful. And I think that's so important because we need to be able to 
separate out harm and this is a danger to me and discomfort of like this will challenge me but I, I'll be okay and I can do it. And this can even be good and valuable for me, even if it is uncomfortable. And that's something that's hard to explain when my whole thing is like anti-racism. Because when I say, oh, I do anti-racism work and I like to talk through different sides, people are like, what are the sides? Anti-racist <laughs> and racist? Like that does not seem good at all. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> what I mean is people, people on any given issue have a diverse range of perspectives. And, you know, it's not just these buckets of right and wrong. It comes down to methods. It comes down to different values. It comes down to all of these different factors. And so I I applaud you. I commend you for even, you know, seeing how facing those fears and facing the like, oh, let's see how this goes. Even giving that person an opportunity to share how they think, you know, like you said, without having this ulterior motive of like, and then let me sneak attack them. Like, (laughs) I think that that is how change is made. That's how impact is, is really made. So yeah, that, I think that's an issue with the person to person cancel culture of like, um, when it used to be for me that if somebody would start to say something like at dinner or in a public thing, I just start like looking around like, oh boy, this is bad. This is dangerous. I can't be around this. I can't hear it. You know, they're super evil. I'm not even going to say what I think. I just need out and I need to never talk to them again. And I'd get this sense of anxiety and fear. And it was holding me back from making any kind of change. It was holding me back from having strong relationships in my life. It was holding me back from having a deep, abiding, unshakable peace. It was holding me back from having a general sense of hope that like, yeah, the world's a pretty good place. And I, I like my role in it. Like having a fear of conflict, a fear of that disagreement, a fear of people who see the world a different way. I did not realize all the ways that that derailed my personal life. And so that's another big reason that I'm, I think it's just so helpful to seek understanding for the sake of understanding, not just seek campaigning or seek convincing um, because understanding others, you don't realize how much it helps you, (laughs) helps you to not be chained up by fear and anxiety and hatred. It helps you to not be like, I'm losing faith in humanity, you know? (laughs) This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I wanna show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system. And I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. 
It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and mealtimes and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Have you ever been like scrolling the internet and there's all these like tools for calming your child and how to regulate and whatever and you try them and your child just gets amped up or that doesn't work or you find yourself in these cycles where it's like epic meltdown, try to come back from it and you just feel like you're putting out fires all day long. If this is you, you aren't alone and we collaborated with an occupational therapist to create our sensory profile quiz. This is gonna help you learn about what helps your child regulate, what's happening in their unique nervous system. We are all different and figuring out what you're sensitive to or what helps you regulate is the key for actually doing this work, for getting to a regulated state, for having tools for calming down, for having tools for regulation. Head on over to www.seedquiz.com to take the quiz for free. You can take it as many times as you like for as many humans as you'd like. And we will deliver results right to your inbox to get you kickstarted on this journey. Seedquiz.com. Yeah, and I think you're right that there is this like, kind of pervasive like it's even harmful to have that conversation with that person right right type of thing I (laughs) I feel it more on a business level than I do on a personal Mm -hmm. level on a personal I I also like I grew up in a low-income farm town in western New York a rural farm town um and I then moved into like New York city and Boston. And now I'm in Vermont and the community and culture that I'm surrounded by in Burlington, Vermont, like the home of Bernie Mm -hmm. Sanders is much different than the Mm -hmm. community and culture that I grew up in. And I I think it's just personally been helpful for me to have different experiences like that and to love and respect and yeah, like love and respect. I feel like humans who have different methods or values or things like that than I do and mm-hmm. to not I think that that just like life experience for me my personal experience with that has been helpful on the personal right. side yeah it's the business side where like gosh I was following someone on social media and I shared some, somebody that I do respect and I've learned so mm-hmm. much from and I shared something of theirs in our stories and I got bombarded with dms like that person's racist and there's all this bubble yeah. to show and yada yada <laughs> and like I was like, oh, okay. And like immediately do wanted, better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that there is this like uh this this fear of like you can't even have that conversation. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I can't, I couldn't possibly engage with that other human without it right. meaning that I'm subscribing to anything mm-hmm. that they also subscribe to. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. I guess I want to call bullshit on that. Like how, (laughs) how, yeah, if if that's the case, then like half the people I'm friends with are like liabilities for my, my (laughs) business image. Like I could be, that's probably a big reason you guys don't know anything about my personal life. Like it is scandalous. The diverse opinions (laughs) that I think valuable to surround myself with. Like that's a good thing. Similarly for me, one time I shared a quote about kindness from this like humanitarian saint person. And oh my gosh, I was, I thought I was going to like lose it all. <laughs> like people were very upset with me. People shared all of these different exposés on this person. Um, I'm not even going to mention because that's, that's not the relevant piece. It's the like um, just this idea of like, you are guilty by association. And I, I understand that to some degree, like, you know, if I said, 
oh yeah, this person who's known for their hatred and their bigotry and this and this, well, I like their fashion sense. So I'm a huge fan of them. Like that would be an issue. Like that would be. So it's not that like, you know, you can totally separate out the person and the the whatever, but um, yeah, I think that attitude trickles into our personal lives, you know? So like, they don't want you to share a post from somebody who's been known to say this problematic thing. Well, then also in their lives that they're using, they have those same eyes of like, where are the problematic people? And how do I make sure I'm far away from them? Because I'd be guilty by association. And then you are leaving all of the places where you could be making a change. You are, you are backing out of all of the places that are ripe for change making and for impact because yeah, I just, I think it's so unhelpful. It's so backwards because even with my work being anti-racism, the the feedback I always get is like, well, I'll only educate someone. I'll only share about anti-racism if they're anti-racist and they agree with me. And, they're, and it's like, well, how's that going to work? Like, let me know how that'll play out because you can't have the prerequisite be total okay. agreement or else your conversations are pointless. And that's the whole like echo chamber thing. So I, I relate, you know, the whole business level of like, yeah, yeah, like that kind of thing happens. But I also have tried to like own that, you know, like if my whole thing is like, I like nuance and I like diversity of thought and I think it's really valuable for us, then like I'll, I'm okay with bringing some of that scandal, if you will, yeah. like upon myself, because that's what it looks like for me to live out the values that I I preach about like, hey, let's be uncomfortable with some difference in opinion. And then, you know, if people are upset with me for that, well, that's kind of what I'm trying to teach you how to do is to be okay with that discomfort, to manage that and to to work through it. And like, it's funny to me how many DM conversations you've described to me. I personally had my DMs off for like a few years. So like, I don't have all the, the DM change of heart things that you do. But like one for me was at this time, I had a similar thing, like what you shared earlier, hateful DMs, hateful DMs, hateful DMs, one that was very sincere and genuine and curious. And that DM led to like a change in trajectory for me. I mean, I had made this post, some people hated it, some people loved it. And I got a DM from someone who had genuine concern of, right, I always appreciate what you have to say. I appreciate this. I appreciate this. I appreciate this. However, with this post, I can't see how this could be a good thing. I can't see how this could be a good message. And like his very genuine feedback for me was, it seems like you're not leaving any room at all for any amount of disagreement. Mm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Show me how disagreement is allowed. Show me how this, Mm. and like the post was like about red flags in conversations about racism. And like the red flags, I mean, some of them are like, agree to disagree. And it's like, this just pivots the conversation. What about ism? This is just a way to, and I see where I was coming with, coming from with that post. But when I got this sincere DM of like, are we allowed to see anything differently at all? Please help me understand. If not, I'll listen. Like, like their choices were in my hands. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, you are correct. And I need to do some serious thinking here because, and this was before my whole let's embrace nuance thing, sure. <laughs> like this free nuance. Um, yeah. Probably but that was the like, nuance. Yeah. Yeah. It was really a turning point that made me reflect of like, yeah, can I actually say that a conversation can only happen if we already agree? Wait a minute. I feel like something in here doesn't work. This feels a little bit circular, but I, I mean, not to, I own like everything I've said, like it's my responsibility. I steward whatever. I'm not blaming anybody else, but I was really, you know, reflecting and echoing what I heard around me. You know, I was absorbing it and picking up very popular ideas and communicating them as in a compelling way, like as effectively as I could. But it took me like stepping back and being like, let me make sure that I'm using my effective communication and all this stuff to communicate the best and truest and most helpful ideas, not just the ones that people like to hear the most. And so like that post red flags and conversations about race, it went so viral. Everybody, some people really liked it. Some people really hated it. 
And in retrospect, I realized like I'm essentially teaching people to make note of red flags. And like the call to action was basically to never talk to them again and not waste your time on them. Don't waste your breath. If they're not open to change, they should know better and don't, don't have them in your life. And I've done a total 180, um, just realizing that like, yeah, I needed, if we want to make an impact, then we need to rethink our methods. And yeah, that's just like an example of like very kind communication. It pivoted me. It kind of turned me in a different direction. Um, and I think everybody has the power to do that. You don't need to be articulate and skillful with the platform, whatever. The thing that, you know, ever always convicts anybody is first feeling understood in the first place. Like it's, and understanding someone, you know, you don't need to understand just so you can hit them with your ideas, but like, like you're definitely not going to convince anybody of anything if you don't even understand what their values are to appeal to those values in the first place. Um, Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. You know, I was just thinking one of the things that comes up a lot in our parenting community is this idea of like, my co-parent isn't on board with this approach and like, how do we get them mm. on board? And what do I do and whatever? Mm. And genuinely I'm like, you don't, right? Like if you're going <laughs> into that conversation, <laughs> truthfully yeah. with like, my yeah. goal is to bring them to my side. Like if you take mm. a step back, if they came into a conversation with you with that goal, what would the outcome be, right? Like, are you gonna, right. are you willing to completely abandon your parenting approach to go to theirs? Mm. They're probably not willing tonight in this conversation to completely yeah. abandon theirs and come to you. And I, I when I'm, as I was just listening to you, I was like, how powerful it is to, if you have, a co-parent or a partner in this who mm. isn't on the same page, who has a different approach to get curious, to right. genuinely without trying to change their mind or send them to an Instagram account or send them a podcast <laughs> episode to listen to or whatever, or prove right. them wrong. If you genuinely got curious about what it is that they are afraid of, what their goals mm. and values are, maybe you have the same goal. Maybe you don't. Maybe their goal is for a kid who is going to be as safe as possible in the world Mm -hmm. 
And that might mean for them that the kid isn't expressing feelings mm. openly and whatever, that maybe that's what safety means to them, you know? Right. And, and and so maybe you don't have the same shared goal. And, um, but I think that genuine curiosity just goes a long way in not just being in your echo chamber. And I love that you were open to it. And you're a thousand percent right. And this, I feel like can wade into tone policing conversation, but mm. that tone matters. If we just think of the nervous right. system, right? Like yeah. if, I'm, if I'm talking to you like this, mm-hmm. your guard can be down. If I'm like Marie and I like get five, <laughs> like your guard's going to go just get right? tight, like, man. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so if I come in like guns ablaze and fists are up, yeah. to have a conversation with my husband about all of his areas of growth. Like he is mm-hmm. not going to be as receptive as if I come in and my tone's regulated and I'm calm and I'm truly curious that like right. the way that person worded that DM to you was a pivotal moment because of the way they worded that DM to you. Otherwise that's right. a sliding door moment, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you miss that opportunity when somebody comes in on the attack. Right. Well, and, and I think that like similar to what you're talking about with co-parenting and not trying to push forward your agenda or your whatever is, yeah, it makes me think of how I've learned more from good criticism than I have from bad criticism or even from good praise. Like good criticism is where change happens. It's how change happens. So even in that co-parenting conversation for if you go to them and you say, I really want to understand you. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not trying to turn you around, help me understand you. Maybe even if that conversation is going really well, you can dive into what are your concerns with the way that I do things, you know, and, and what is your, your criticism of my ideas of the way that this happens? How, How do you take issue with that? And obviously, like you said, if it's like a heated conversation, that might not be the time to open up the door for criticism. But if you are having a really good heart to heart, good criticism could even help you. Not that you're going to abandon everything you know and everything that you think. But like like for me, my work has always been anti-racism. So I thought there's no criticism here. You're either anti-racist or you're racist. So I know I'm right. So how should I, I shouldn't take any criticism. Like guys, I'm, I'm the good guy here. Um, and for me just realizing like, even if you're on the right path, even if you're doing something you really believe in and you stick to that path, good criticism helps you to walk it better. And I used to take criticism of my anti-racism methods or my tone or whatever as wow they're anti me Mm. and they're 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 not about me they're not in support of what I'm trying to do here but a really big shift like that kind DM was like I don't think that they're against what I'm trying to do here I think they're trying to help me do it better I think they're trying to help me see the weak points and they're they want to help me improve at this message that I have they want to help me improve the way that I go about this mission. And I mean, that's easy to say, oh, guys, criticism is free or good. It'll make you better. But like, <laughs> it actually, all of the pivotal times in my journey, in my career, my personal life, they've always been prompted by listening to really helpful feedback. Um, because even when you're on the right path, I'm, I'm a passionate person. I can be, you know, really... I don't want to say intense, but yeah, I can be passionate and you can end up in a ditch, even when you're on the right path, pulled too far one direction, too far the other direction. So I think that you got to have those little things keeping you on the path. And that again, humbles you and opens you up to the ideas of, um, just takes you out of the, I'm on the good team mentality versus I'm on the bad team. And it takes you to a place of, there aren't teams here and we're we're walking toward this end. We're all walking toward the same end and we could all use guidance and encouragement and feedback and direction. So it's, it's, it's a long-term shift to make. And 
Yeah. Similar to what you said, it, it comes back to tone, I think, quite a bit. Yeah. And tone is sorry. effective. No, sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, like tone is one of the most effective things. It speaks volumes for saying that's what actually communicates what you're trying to do. You know, 100%. even more than the words you choose, your tone communicates. I am so pissed off and I don't care what you say or your tone communicates. I really genuinely care about you. Help yeah. me to understand. And I think like so powerful to teach our kids to model mm -hmm. to our kids and mm -hmm. to show them that like disagreement isn't bad to have. Right. And that right. we can, that we can help them be in uncomfortable situations and conversations and not just avoid them, but be able to navigate mm -hmm. them and what a beautiful skill set that is. And we get mm -hmm. to, we get to practice in front of them. We get to practice with them. They get to practice with us, you know, like just providing that opportunity to model regulation and curious tone and curiosity in general. And mm -hmm. You know, even I think of opportunities to narrate like, wow, that person seemed really upset at the grocery store. I wonder what's going on for them today. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. just like modeling little curiosity about someone else's experience without judgment right. in ways where we're not in a disagreement right. and how to get curious just across the board. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, yeah. With with modeling, I think that the modeling, modeling behavior and modeling, yeah, it just speaks volumes because you're, you're not forcing anything. You're not, you know, trying to hit people over the head with it or hit, hit your children over the head with, um, this information. But, um, yeah, I think that modeling really comes with so much follow through and, when you admire someone, look up to them, respect them, feel cared for, then you want to emulate their behavior. So yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. I, God, thank you. Thank you for being here with me. I feel like I could continue this conversation with so many things coming up. This is, I want to chat more. I, I love totally this conversation. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, me too. Um, my biggest takeaways for myself today were really the like, that seeking to understand is so important and that fear of feeling associated mm -hmm. with being seen as associated with, et cetera, people outside of our identity groups or mm -hmm. our quote belief systems. I'm putting those in quotes um, mm -hmm. and uh, being able to acknowledge that fear and be in the discomfort of engaging with others who believe different things than we do, value different things right. than we do, live different lives than we do. And mm -hmm. how important that is in this time, I feel like especially in this time where we found ourselves in such siloed camps. Mm -hmm. Thank you for doing this incredible work, Marie. Thank you for being a change maker and leading change makers. For folks who are tuning in today, where can they find you, follow you, tune in, learn from you, pay you? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I feel like you've given me so many insights about parenting. I am not, I'm not a parent myself. I don't know if, if I'm allowed to say that, but you um, are allowed. <laughs> <laughs> but you, yeah, that's been, you've definitely given me a lot of food for thought. So I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. Um I also host a podcast. It's called the Changemaker Podcast. And I talk a lot about similar things that have come up today with effective communication, seeking understanding. I talk a lot about different social issues, specifically social issues related to race and just how to make sense of them. I'm a big fan of showcasing a lot of viewpoints and helping you form a big, uh, like, <laughs> and helping you decide what you think of it by just showing you all the different ways that you can think of it. Um, so the Changemaker podcast, you can find me there. I'm on Instagram at Marie Beach. And you can also support me on Patreon um, at patreon.com slash Marie Beach. Or all this information is on my website. So if you Google me, Marie Beecham, then 
you can get all the, the rundown there. And I also do diversity, equity, and inclusion presentations, workshops, trainings, and you can find information about booking me through my website as well. Love it. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes and in the blog post. Marie, I feel so grateful to have had the opportunity to chat with you. Like I said, you were a whole team meeting about like, what's our ask going to be to <laughs> hang out. Uh, so thank you. Thanks for saying yes and hanging out with me. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so, S-E-W. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.